As we turn our attention today to praying for for others, particularly for those who are our fellow workers, our co-laborers in Christ, our Alliance devotional today tells a story of a, a pastor, a pastor who I know, whose son is on the mission field, and he tells the story of him, uh, of him and his wife being awakened in the night to pray for their son with a heavy burden, very, very much in the middle of the night, a heavy burden for their son, and they're praying. And he gets the opportunity later to ask his son, was there something going on at that time that, uh, you know, would have caused this kind of intercession or this kind of burden of the Holy Spirit on on his parents? And the son tells a story about how he was charged with carrying uh, a briefcase, satchel kind of thing, with the money of the mission in another country. And that uh, as he was transferring it to the office or to the place he was going, he was he was held up by two uh, two thieves with guns uh, trained at his head. And as that was happening, he <laughs> he just kept saying to them, "I you know I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ," and uh, and he was able to walk away, and they didn't steal the mission's money, and they didn't shoot him, even though it was a, a terribly uh, traumatic event, the prayers that went up from his parents in intercession coincided with the time when he needed it the most. There, there is a, there's a level that God is calling us into, and it's, it's not only anecdotal, like the story of parents praying for their uh, international worker uh, family, but rather it, it's it's a biblical concept that as we study the prayers, particularly of the Apostle Paul, that we see it very clearly. Romans 15, beginning at verse, th- verse 30, is Paul himself, the apostle, asking for prayer. Now listen to the, listen to the tone of the apostle's request. Now this is the greatest you know, writer of scripture, uh, almost more than half of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul, the greatest church planter, uh, going into city after city in the in the Roman world and the Greek world, and and founding life, you know, life giving churches that cross cultural, ethnic, social barriers. But here is what he has to say: He wants prayer. For what he does. Listen to it. He says, I appeal to you. That, that word there is a very strong. It's, it's an urging. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. And then listen to the wording he uses. To strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that God's will, that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So here's the Apostle Paul, and he, he's laboring for Christ, and he's asking those who are believers to pray for him. And there's, there are these characteristics in his request that help us to understand spirit-filled praying for other people, particularly for those 
who are workers, uh, whether it's in international fields or, or here at home, it doesn't matter. Paul, Paul says these prayers have to be characterized in their offering with an earnestness. You know, in other words, they're not superficial. God bless the missionary. There's an earnestness. There's a connection. There's, there's something more than just uh, religious or perfunctory prayer being made for those that labor on Christ's behalf. Secondly, there's an urgency. See, there's often, there, when we are praying, God is mediating through our prayers resources that will come just at the nick of time, just at the right time, to not only save those who are working, but, but to save those they're working with. There's an urgency. And then what Paul asked for is the same thing he gave in his prayer life to every believer, every disciple of his, and that is persistence. So earnestness, urgency, persistence. This is the way that he has prayed for others. As he has prayed for others, he's saying, now, will you pray that way for me? He, 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 he has in his obedience, and this is it's a very important point, in his obedience to Christ, he has put himself in, he, he's been put in great spiritual need because he's in great spiritual danger. There's an urgency. And as, as he has been so persistent, I mean, think about the times, if you read Paul's prayers, he's always saying, I always give thanks for you. I'm praying for you day and night. Can you imagine being the recipient of the Apostle Paul's prayer and then he turns around and he says, would you do this for me? So these are really the effective attributes of the kind of prayer, and, and, and it has to be personal. It cannot just be, uh, in a way, just ritualistic, perfunctory, superficial. He urges them, he, you know, I appeal to you, he says, I urge you to join me by praying for, to God for me. And and. I don't know if you're capturing it, but this is a very emotional language that he's using to make this request. And so he, he's, he's, he's showing in a way that effective prayer is a prayer that comes with emotion, with earnestness, goes beyond the superficial. D.A. Carson, who's a New Testament scholar, he, he said this about Paul's request. He said, the logic of Paul's appeal runs something like this. If you truly confess Jesus, the Messiah, as Lord, then I urge you in his name to pray for me. So in other words, he's, he's pouring it on, Carson says. If you participate in the salvation Christ has gained for you, if you submit to him who has taught us to pray, if you have tasted his redemption and long to see his kingdom extended in the world, then I urge you to pray for me and my ministry. Uh, Carson is, is, is helping us to understand that if, if all, in a way, if all of our prayer life is all about others praying for us or us praying for ourselves, which it's important to pray for yourself. But Paul is saying, is there no margin now that you have come to Christ, now that what Christ has done for you is true of you, is there no margin now to extend to others who are laboring for Christ. That's what Paul is really saying. Listen, 
uh, Carson says it this way. He says, Paul's appeal is persistent. If you know anything of the love of the Spirit, Paul is saying, in this context, he was referring to the love which the Spirit fills and empowers us. And he says, then demonstrate this love in the ministry of intercession to which I am urging you. I mean, for a lot of Christians, you know, this is very hard to hear. In other words, if you're really filled with the Holy Spirit, then you are filled with the love of God. And your heart will go towards intercession because that's what the Spirit does. He is the Spirit who intercedes. Romans 8, 26 and 27. He helps us in our weakness, interceding with, with groans too deep for words. I mean, that's, that's his ministry. Now, that's not the only one. Not only is the Holy Spirit interceding, but the Lord Jesus is interceding. One of, one of the, my teachers in prayer used to say, God always works in threes. So there's a trinity of intercession. Holy Spirit, the Son, and then you joining in that intercession. And then there's something of completeness when you decide, I am so loved by God. I have such access to the Father. I am joining in the prayers of the Spirit. I'm joining in the prayers of the Son. And I will pray for those who are laboring for Christ. That's what Paul is asking on his behalf. And you, you can imagine that being a Christian in Rome was not without its challenges. I'm sure living in such an urb, ancient urban metropolis was difficult. And yet Paul is saying, if there's any love of God in you, then let it be expressed in intercession for me. How can you not pray for me, basically? Paul is saying, he's saying your prayer life reflects your grasp of who Christ is and also how well you love. So how you pray and, and, and the kind of prayers that you pray reveal your grasp of who Christ is to you. Now, Paul is making a very frank, very direct appeal to the church to pray for him. He doesn't want weak prayers. He doesn't want lukewarm praying. He's saying, join me in my struggle. It's interesting because Paul saw part of the struggle of being a Christian. Part of the struggle is prayer. That prayer is the place where we struggle. One missionary who was working with uh, Muslim people said, prayer is the gymnasium of the soul. So from Paul's prayer viewpoint, he thought that real prayer, and this is why some people quit praying, is real prayer is prayer where there's struggle. Not just for yourself, but you're struggling against principalities, against the dark powers of evil. Therefore, there has to be discipline, there has to be work. And he's urging others to join him in this struggle. Um, in, in some ways, I, the enemy can, can give you a lot of resistance to Bible reading, to Bible study, to listening even to sermons or messages or teachings. But though he fears that and will make a strategy against you in terms of more understanding and knowledge of the scriptures, the thing he most greatly fears is your prayer life. 
And so anybody who has decided to pray, even to pray beyond just praying for myself and my needs, to start praying for the advance of the kingdom of God, to pray for those workers that the Lord Jesus is thrusting forth into the harvest fields, is a very scary thing to the enemy, and he will throw against you resistance so that you will not want to pray or so that prayer does not become easy. This is why Paul is saying, struggle with me. And and in some ways, it goes back to, do you really understand the armor of God? Do you understand how to how to pray, how to, how to live, how to work, equipped with the armor of God, because this is how we stand against Satan's schemes. One of the great uh, writers of the, I think it was the 18th century, uh, wrote a three-volume set on the Christian in full armor. And part of that is, Paul says, part of that armor is praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayers and supplication. So the idea is there is a part of the armor of God that has us alert to what the Spirit is praying, joining and aligning our prayers to what the Spirit is praying, and then being able to win that battle, even though it is a battle. You would not need armor if it wasn't a battle, if it wasn't supernatural conflict. And so Paul is aiming with his life, with his ministry, to win people from Satan to Jesus Christ. And since you can only come to Christ by a spiritual birth, a new birth, then there has to be a demonstration of God's power in converting people and in the transformation of people. It's not that we don't give a clear demonstration, a clear presentation of the gospel. Paul himself says in Romans 10, how can they hear unless there's a preacher? or a preaching. But the transformation of the soul is an inner work of the Holy Spirit to make a person move from being in the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's wonderful Son. So the reason that prayer is so essential, even more so than persuasion, is persuasion cannot affect a new birth, only the work of the Spirit. And God has called us to stand in the gap, to pray, God has called us as those who now alive in Christ with the authority of of God in our prayer lives to begin to pray light into the darkness, to begin to pray healing into the brokenness, to proclaim the good news, to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord. And, And a big part of that is this kind of urgent, earnest, persistent prayer. So how do you assess your own praying and how do you learn to pray for others effectively? It's interesting that though Paul ties some of his asks, some of his requests to his ministry, yet he opens up his heart to these Roman Christians who he's actually, most of them he's never met. And he takes his burdens and he shares it with them. There are personal concerns here. You know, he's praying for himself. You know that Paul is praying for himself just like he's praying for others. But he also feels the freedom to urge his brothers and sisters to pray for him in the Lord. And how he prays and how he asks them to pray 
is how you can pray for others, but also it's, an, it's a model of how you can open up your heart so that others can pray for you. Think about these, this very personal request. In verse 31, the first part of verse 31 of chapter 15 in Romans, Paul says, pray that I might be kept safe. And then he explains the threat from unbelievers in Jerusalem or Judea. See, this is a very personal concern. This is not, you know, this is not a generalized concern. He has gathered up an, an amazing offering from the Gentile churches to be brought to the mother church in Jerusalem during a time of famine. He's going to be carrying a substantial amount of money. Kind of like the story of our international worker who was taking money from the bank to the office. Only Paul is going all the way from Corinth and he will go all the way to Jerusalem. Very treacherous journey. And he needs to be kept safe. But there's more going on than just carrying so much money. He's considered a religious traitor because he was once a revered rabbi. Now he is a follower of Jesus Christ. And the religious leaders who once were his allies are now those who see him as someone who needs to be killed, that he's dangerous, he's dangerous to their faith. They've tried to kill him before. Uh, Paul lists the number of cities in which he has been threatened and attacked, Lystra, Antioch, Iconium. I mean, he's even been stoned and left for dead. Only the Lord had more uh, time for him on this earth. Paul was a, an enemy or considered an enemy. And he's saying, not only keep safe because I'm carrying this money, but keep, keep me safe because there are those who wish to kill me. So this is an incredibly personal request that Paul makes. And I, I feel like in two levels, this is when prayer gets really effective, is when we begin to get personal. You know, if, if in some ways I'm praying for someone and I know nothing about them, it's not that my prayers don't have some effect. They just don't have great effect. It's the same is true if I want others to pray for me or I want to pray for others. I, I need these elements, this element of earnestness. I, I need to know that what I'm praying for is a real need. I need to share a real need if I want someone to pray for me. Paul, Paul knows that the one possibility that this trip could end up with his death in Jerusalem because there are those waiting for him. And he says, pray that I'll be safe. But he also prays it in the sense, and you can see the emotion here, is it's very urgent, it's pressing on him. There, there are dangers waiting for him. Pray for me, he says. And then there's this other aspect, and I, I think this is, this is one of the biggies in really effective intercession. Is what I'm praying for worth praying again and again? Is, there, is, is this worthy of persistence? And I think about that in, in prayer meetings. Now, you know, this is maybe my soapbox. I've been a pastor for a long time, but I've been going to Wednesday night or corporate prayer meetings since I was probably about 12 years old. So I've been to... Uh, 50 years of prayer meetings. And I, I got to tell you, the reason most prayer meetings are so terrible 
and so ineffectual and with so few answers is because they lack these three elements. People are not sharing real needs, so there's no earnestness to the prayer. Since they're not real needs, they're not really pressing needs, so there's no urgency to the prayer. And even though people will pray the same things over and over again, what they're praying for often is not worth praying for once, much less over and over again. One church that I I was uh, called to pastor had had the same prayer list for 21 years. Typed it up every Wednesday, prayed the same list. The list was quite long. Had never seen any answers to any of them, but they prayed it faithfully every Wednesday night. And you see, because they prayed it consistently, they thought they were doing what was right. Never asking the question, hey, why do we have no answers? To this, Well, uh, there was nothing on the list that elicited anything more than just superficial praying. There was no earnestness there. There was no, there was no burden. There was no deep burden on anybody's heart that any of those prayers should be answered because they've been praying for 21 years. There was nothing urgent. They've been praying the same prayers for 21 years. Why would there be any kind of pressing need on the list? And though they had... They had prayed the same list for 21 years. There was not a thing on the list had been posed in a way where it connected to any of them personally. So it really wasn't worth getting worked up about. So they never did. They just prayed through the list, thought they were doing basically the best that they could. But the problem was there were no answers to the list. Well, I use these these three these three elements and, and I looked at it and said, if we tear up this list, there are a few things on this list that are worth being persistent about. And one of them was one of the ladies who prayed faithfully had a husband who was lost. And so I, I said, this is worth praying for, but we have to re, you know, we have to represent it, we have to align it with can we not see that this is an earnest desire of a woman that we care for who's a member of our fellowship? Can we not see that this is an urgent need? And can we not see that this is worth our persistence? And so I said, let's get rid of all the others, but let's, let's pray this one. And uh, as we began to pray it, the Lord gave me opportunities to have a relationship with them. And not long after we began to pray differently, for something that had been on the list for 21 years, not long afterwards, through a number of circumstances orchestrated by God, but not orchestrated until we started praying, this man came to Christ in a radical and wonderful way. And this is so important that we get this. Answers are waiting for us. And so Paul, you understand, he, he's entrusting his personal need, but he's also entrusting in, in this passage, he, he, he entrusts to these other Christians the success of his ministry. Now, of course he's trusting in God, but you see, he's sharing now the burden for success with these others. This is, this is when prayer becomes real prayer, is that God has a burden. God shares that burden with his with his called worker, 
The called worker shares the burden God has shared with him or her with those who are called to pray. You know, we're not making this stuff up. God starts it. God initiates it. The worker receives the call. The worker shares the burden. And the intercessors, the prayer, the people who pray are carrying that burden. That's what Paul did. He had a burden, you understand? And the burden was this. He wanted to unite the Gentile world and the Jewish world in the church of Jesus Christ. And he knew, he knew that he couldn't do that without supernatural resource. He couldn't do that without power from on high. And so he has a burden. One church, one people, all nations, all ethnicities, one church. And he's taking a step. He's saying, I'm bringing an offering from the Gentiles. This could blow up in my face. Unless God gives me success, pray for me. You understand? Oh, I, I hope I'm conveying this to you because, because nothing, nothing of great significance happens without it starting as a burden from God, a call on a person, and a sharing of that burden. That's what Paul does. And so his great desire with this, this gift would supply not only the needs of God's people in Jerusalem, the money would help, but also would become an overflow of thanks to God for the oneness of the church of Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, no longer divided, no longer a wall of hostility, but one church in Jesus Christ. This is Paul's pastoral heart for the church. And, you know, he gets so open that he starts to pray for their future. He, he, he starts to ask them to pray for his future. He wants to come to them. He wants to, once he's finished in Jerusalem, he wants to head right back to Rome. And then from Rome, he wants to establish a base. And he wants to go as far into the West as he possibly can. You know, these are... What's happening here is we're starting to see a large visionary view of prayer. There are immediate concerns, but it's also this broad picture and envisions further and further outreach. You know what I have found in my prayer life and in my ministry? That when things get tough, when things get hard, and there's resistance in the present, that not only can I pray about my immediate concerns, but those, those that resistance tells me that I'm on the right path and that I can look up and have a bigger picture, that God is God wants to bring to my advantage, to the advantage of ministry, even in the rough times, he wants me to trust him for the bigger picture, for the bigger vision. That's what Paul is doing here. He's beginning to entrust, even to the church, he's saying, I have a bigger picture of what God wants to do. He wants to go west. Rome is just a starting point. I want to see the gospel, he says, go to Spain. I want to see it go where there is no foundation, and I want to be a part of this kingdom expansion. And he asked that he would pray. What I've found is that sometimes not only are our prayers too small, our view of God is too small. Our view of God is too trapped in our immediate concerns and in our immediate circumstances. And Paul, you see, even though he's facing an incredible challenge in Jerusalem, yet his eyes are towards what God wants to do in kingdom expansion. 
So he envisions this very next phase of ministry and begins to pray about it. (laughs) See, in a way, we can dream big dreams, but until we commit them to prayer, they stay kind of selfish. They stay kind of little, little wish visions, these things that are about us, not about what God wants to do with us. So the more we can we can begin to voice our dreams, voice our visions, then God can speak into them. And the wonderful thing about Paul's vision is it was always about the gospel itself. And it was always an extension of the gospel into a needy world. Now, I need to say this very quickly. God always answers our prayers, but not always in the way we expect. Some of Paul's answers were not exactly the way he wanted. You know how the story works out. Of the three requests, the second was granted. There was incredible success in Jerusalem. The church was greatly appreciative, grateful for the love shown by the Gentile churches. There was an incredible, you know, oneness established right from the beginning. But, you know, Paul didn't get to go to Rome as a free man. He went as a prisoner. And he was dealt, you know, very unfairly along the way in justice and, you know, the height of human uh, degradation by having a guard chained to him and, and the way that his life uh, unfolded. And yet, even in that, many of the letters that are now part of the Holy Scriptures were written while Paul was in chains. You know, here's the thing. This is the spiritual nature of prayer, is no prayer should ever be outside a hearty submission to the Lordship of Christ. A personal relationship with the Father, who is our God, who is wise, good, and patient. He may give us what we ask for. He may make us wait for what we ask for, and he may decline. Here's the thing is normally what God is doing is he's teaching us what to ask for. God answers the prayers we should have asked, and God knows the goals of what we are asking for. But often the means by which he answers our prayer is different than what we expect. Even in the life of the Apostle Paul, you see that God kept giving him more grace so that even in his weakness, God's grace was sufficient. You see, Many times God does it differently than we expect, but in, in learning to submit to God, we learn how to pray. I've seen in my life God answers the, so many requests that I never prayed, but I should have prayed because he knows what I need even before I ask. And so Paul dares to ask and approach God with these personal requests because he knows God. He knows him to be good. He knows him as his heavenly father. So as we think through these things, what we begin to realize is that our prayerlessness is more often than not a lack of true understanding and encounter with God, knowledge of God, intimate knowledge. Because real and vital knowledge of God not only teaches us what to pray, but it gives us powerful incentive to pray. Paul himself is the one who said he is able immeasurably more to give what we cannot even imagine or think. 
See, nothing is beyond God's power to do in our lives. So has God, you know, even as we pray for others, has God become so central to our thought and our pursuits that we cannot easily imagine asking for anything without consciously longing that the answer that God gives brings glory to God. Paul's prayers were always profoundly God-centered. Now, I'll close with this. I know I've gone a little long, but I'll close with this. Leonard Ravenhill, who's a great writer on revival, great preacher, he says, the church has many organizers, but few agonizers. Many resters, but few wrestlers. Many who are enterprising, but few who are interceding. So today, the call from our Alliance family worldwide is that they, we are counting, our workers are counting on people like you and me to wrestle and agonize on our knees. So I, I close with this. Are there any pastors, any missionaries, any leaders that you're praying for, like Paul himself asked to be prayed for? If not, then maybe God today is putting someone on your heart and say, I will pray for them. I will even awaken in the night to carry this burden. Remember, God has the burden. He shares it by calling someone to the work, and then the worker shares the burden with us like Paul did. And the, it's, it's, a, it's a trinity there. The, the burden of God, the call, and the intercessory, intercessory burden. And if, and if it's a connection like that, you know it's going to be successful. It's going to be awesome. God loves to answer big prayers in times when we, sometimes when we least expect it. Let me pray for us. Lord, would you let this message come to our hearts? that we might pray with earnestness, with urgency, with persistence. We want to carry the burdens that you have for us because your, your yoke is easy and your burden is light, but we want to carry what you're giving to us because we never carry it alone. And so I ask, Lord, that you would put names and people on our hearts that we might agonize, that we might wrestle that we might intercede. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining me.